Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptee podcast. And have we got a treat for you today? This is uh, uh, a fellow adoptee. We're doing pretty much only fellow adoptee episodes now, uh, listeners, um, because I know that I enjoy those conversations more. I figure that if I enjoy them more, you'll enjoy them more. Um, so today I'm joined by uh, M. M. Hendricks. She goes as, uh, as as Molly. Welcome to the show, Molly. Looking forward to this fantastic cracker of a subject that you've come up with. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So we spoke a while ago, probably two or three months ago now. And um, when we started, before we started recording, um, I asked what theme you'd come up with. And you said um, freedom, uh, the freedom to determine and determine our own identity. And I just thought, yes, this is <laughs> epic. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> like, because we're trying to empower and inspire inspire with this with this podcast so freedom and creation yeah brilliant great talk talk about that (laughs) well I think um I mean I guess I'll say that one of the reasons that I felt that being an adoptee was freeing was because I was adopted by loving parents. Um, And so I I grew up in a healthy adoptive situation. And I know that's not the case for everyone, but that was my situation. I often describe my parents as being born to be parents. And then they had the experience. And, you know, this was in the 60s because I was born in 1970 that they couldn't get pregnant and there were no fertility treatments. And so they adopted. And it was this joyful experience for them. I'll tell you quickly that they always tell the story of um, how they just waited by the phone for two years. And every time the phone would ring, they jump and say, is it the adoption agency? And as soon as they got the call, you know, they were 28 years old. They called every one of their neighbors and they all came over and celebrated. It was this great celebration. I actually talk about that celebration at the end of my memoir about being adopted. Um, so because it was such a, they were such good parents. They were so dedicated to being parents. I had a very positive experience. And one of the things that happened was I felt growing up, they told me immediately I was adopted. There was a book they read about adoption and they put my name in it rather than the character's name. I felt this freedom to become whoever I wanted to be. I felt that because I was adopted and I didn't know who my biological parents or relatives were, I could carve out my own identity. I could, and I could look at my parents who I really loved and uh, and I could say, are there parts of them I want to emulate? And there are things that I want to do differently. One thing as an example, as a kid, I was just very creative and I was very interested in reading and books as well as art. And so they saw this talent and they said, do you want to take art classes? And I started taking art classes, I think when I was four years old. And started painting at a very young age, even though I didn't become a painter, I became a writer. And if I showed any talent, they'd say, do you want to try it? Because maybe that's your thing. And so not only did I feel freedom, they nurtured that freedom in me. And they said, it's up to you to carve out your own identity, to figure out who you are and how to be yourself. So being adopted was a liberating experience for me. I wish that all adoptees and all children really felt this freedom. I remember growing up that I had a friend who looked just like her mom. And she said, I don't want to look just like my mom. And there's something freeing about not knowing what you're going to look like. Of course, there's also, it's, it's normal to say, I want to meet people who look like me, but you can also look at it like it's, it's freedom. You don't know you, you can determine what you're going to look like. Um, And so it's just been a very positive experience in that way to shape my own identity and my own path. And I, and I wish all people would do that. The new novel I have coming out, the chaperone, that main character also kind of rejects the dogma of her society and her family to find herself too. And I think that's a theme in everything I write. Yeah. Wow. So much there. Um, Yeah. Uh, First off, I want to, um, echo your sentiments like um so i i was i I, w- I was i was lucky with i got the luck of the draw as well with my my parents um whether they were and 
whether I think my mum was born to be a mum, whether my dad was or not, he was an only child. My mum was the eldest of four. So my dad wasn't really a family, a family guy, but you know, they did some fostering before um uh, before they adopted. And then similar to you, there was the the biological uh, impediment that to stop you know infertility. Um so yeah, um I, but we 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 were lucky, and um, lots of people don't have that experience. And right. one of the things I'm somebody's called me out on it. A, a fellow adoptee called me out on out on um, it. Uh, probably yeah, a month or so ago was about empathy for others and and and, and realizing where they're at and realizing that they didn't have the same experiences as, as I did. Um, so I, I'm kind of like, I, I'm, I'm alert to that to a certain extent, but as I'm thinking back on how I welcomed you on the show, I'm thinking maybe I was a bit over the top on this, you know, like we're, we're I'm playing it up, you know, um, and, and I'm playing up the topic, but I think it's so, I think it's so great to look at this in terms of freedom and like maybe if we we've got the freedom now right maybe we didn't have the freedom when we were kids maybe um uh, we didn't have the freedom but it's never too late it's it's never too late to create a new future future is it um and um so let's 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 do that you know um, let's create a new future for um, f- for our for ourselves um, in terms of yeah what yeah. what we do going forward. I do think it's really important to recognize that many adoptees had very different experiences, um, and that not all adoptive parents are good parents, nor nor should they be parents. Just like all biological parents shouldn't be parents, um, and that. I guess I'm a person who kind of looks at life like life is going to happen. Bad things are going to happen and good things are going to happen. And the important thing is how you respond to it. And if you need help, I mean, I'll be perfectly frank. You know, I have issues from being adopted from, you know, the the trauma of adoption. I have an anxiety problem and it's always going to be a problem. But I think and I've been in therapy for it all my life um, on and off. Uh I think it's important to say, what can I do to be happy or how can I look at things in a way that makes, allows me to find happiness. But I I do think it might require a paradigm shift for an adult adoptee who grew up with, if they had a bad adoptive situation to shift their perspective and say, oh, this could be looked at in a way that I had a freedom that's not available or obviously available to people who grew up with their biological parents, that you look at that there are pros and cons to both ways of being raised. I mean, my, my husband is kind of like that, you know, he grew up um, on the West side of Cincinnati, a working class side of Cincinnati, and he didn't feel that he fit in, but he felt trapped. And I just never felt trapped because I knew I had biological parents and a biological family out there that meant there were more possibilities available to me. Yeah. So, um, it requires a paradigm shift, as you say, um, but we can we can create a we can create a new future going forward. We can um, people. I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast about hanging out at the bus stop for insights. So I had a I was sharing before we recorded. I was sharing a, a, some freedom some freedom that I'd found um, from. And I was talking to a fellow adoptee who has also been on the show before we we came on board today. So I I I was comparing my um, numbers with uh, Haley Radke. You know, she she got to a million downloads before Christmas. I and and I, I and I was kind of like comparing my numbers. We're on about thirty seven thousand um, so far, and. I was talking to uh, uh, to a good good friend of mine, Vin, who's been on the show, done lots of podcasts together, and he said, "Don't confuse what 
the, the, the scale of your impact, the depth of your impact with the quantity of people that Haley's reaching. Right. And I, I, I'm doing this. I was talking to, um, as Sonny before we came on and she'd said, she'd give me a, a couple of suggestions about the, the, the podcast. And it became clear to me in, in that moment that I, I, I'm doing this in the, the best, the best way I can to catalyze insights. And some people prefer shorter podcasts, but I don't think we get to the, I don't think we get to that the depth quickly in a conversation. So I'm the freedom. I, I'm now, I'm now free on the back of that conversation I had with, um, with Vin, I'm, I'm free from this comparison thing. Now I, I've, I've known about comparisonitis for quite a long time. You know, you know, you know, comparisonitis. It's a, it's a game that all the family can play. It's very good on social media. <laughs> uh, my life's better than yours. Your life's um, your life's better than mine. It's comparisonitis, and 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 we're comparing what's going on the outside with what's going on the on the inside. And and there's a freedom for me in that in 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 that insight, that insight that I'm doing it the way that I think is is going to deliver most best for the audience and and i am now free of that and that happened in a split second that was a that was a paradigm shift on the basis of something that a coach of mine has been telling me for 10 years she's tried it in in 10 10 years coach mentor therapist whatever you want that um she's been telling me for 10 years about, about this and i found that freedom because um uh, because Vin said it in one way. So freedom comes in those little instants, in those moments. That's that's where it's that's where it's at. And and it 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 may seem like a completely tiny thing, but for me, this comparisonitis has been. Well, what did the coach say? What did the coach say? Um, I have to know. <laughs> what did she say that didn't that it that, got you over comparisonitis? Um, she she didn't get me over it. Vin did. Oh, Vin, okay. Vin and did. How, and how what? Did, how did what did Vin say to me? Yes, said, I must know. Yeah. Um. Don't judge the quality of oh your, that comment okay. with okay. the quantity of Haley's. Okay, that was okay. That's the one that changed things for you. Okay, that's yes, it's, it's true, and it's very important thing as, since I'm a writer to recognize because it's very easy to look at everyone who's getting a movie or TV deal or, you know, getting on a bestseller list or an award. Um, every time the award nominations are announced, you feel that you deflate, you know, and you have to move past that. I mean, I think another thing you can do too is. I know we're far afield here is to um, root for your, you know, peers. If you root for them, then it's still happy when they get nominated, right. Or when they get accomplished something. So maybe you can root for other podcasts, right? Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah. Um, we, we do, we try and, I, I try and get other podcasters on, on the show and, um, uh, right. and, and, and help everybody helping each other. I don't, did you see this thing I came up with? Um, uh, tra trauma One Adoptees United Ten. I did see it, and I haven't yeah. had time to follow up. I've I've been suffering from vertigo for six weeks, so I'm supposed to be off screens, and here I am uh, yeah, talking screens, to you yeah. on a Zoom screen. It, it's it's a simple premise. So at the moment, I'm listening to uh, the Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Watson, and it, it, it's uh, it's kind of long. I'm getting some insights from it, but I'm staying with it. But I was talking to an Aussie adoptee, not Vin, another Aussie adoptee before Christmas, and she said, have you read this Body Keeps a Score? And Wait. I thought of soccer. When I think of score, well, first off, Body Keeps a Score, right? Oh, the body keeps a score. It's like um, my trauma is hidden in my big toe, and someday, sooner or later, it's going to jump out and grab me. And, and, and it's keeping the score. It's got a score to settle. Like mm. quite, you know, like quite scary for me. 
Uh, but the the other thing that flipped to me is I thought about soccer, and I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I I don't really watch much soccer. I'm not really a soccer fan, but I thought about soccer like the school, and I, I as I was swimming, I came up with this idea of adopting a, a trauma trauma one because tr- trauma happened if if we believe in this primal primal wound thing. Anyway, trauma struck first, whatever it was. Trauma got the first goal. Trauma goes one nil ahead, right? Um, and then, uh, and then, adoptees united come back uh, and, and uh, combine together. Teamwork makes the dream work. We all support one another, right? Uh, there's there's no cliches to to uh, crap for Simon to say today, <laughs> but yeah, adoptees come together as a team, and we trash we trash trauma. We trash it ten one. Great, yeah. I love it. That that's that's as simple as the idea, and we're laughing about it instead of like oh trauma trauma oh my god the body keeps the score oh god no we're laughing about it so well, I'm not my trauma I'm not my trauma and coming together we can we can make it a bit lighter and we've been lighter and when we're lighter we're going to be more creative we're going to be creative we're going to have more impact we're going to come up with better ideas and yeah 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 I. I mean, when we were talking before we started recording about how, you know, we don't want to be living in an unhappiness, you know, and and I don't feel like I've done that as an adoptee, but I still think that recognizing the trauma, I mean, obviously you're way ahead, your story of the, you know, the teddy bear and everything, you're way ahead. There are plenty of adoptees who haven't recognized that. I remember I was in therapy when I was 23 years old. And the therapist said, well, you know, the first thing that happened to you in your life was traumatic. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, being adopted and being, you know, he said abandoned, which he shouldn't have used that word because my biological mother chose adoption. Um, But he said, it's the first thing that happened to you. It's traumatic. And I did not believe it. And he was a good therapist otherwise, but I said, that's, there's no truth in that. And it took me probably until I was in my thirties or forties to realize, no, he was right. There is a trauma. That doesn't mean we're defined by the trauma. Now I will, again, going back to some adoptees have a worse situation than I do, but you don't have to be defined by the trauma and you can work through it. I don't think it ever totally goes away, but that doesn't mean it's a has, you have to be unhappy. You can be working through it in positive ways. Um, but I think awareness is super important. I don't know how you feel about, well, of course you do because you've had your own journey with it, but understanding that there's a trauma is very important. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it is, uh, and it, it does not define us and, right. and, and, and deeper than that, it is not us. We are not our trauma. You know, uh, I'm experimenting with poetry at the moment, and 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 my poetry, yeah, that's like, hard. Poetry is so hard. Well, um, it, it's come. I guess good poetry is maybe hard, but mm-hmm. it, it came out of me like it, 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 easy, easy piece. You're right. Easy You're right. There's a difference so, between writing poetry or even fiction, and then writing good poetry or fiction. That's true. Yeah, um, but I don't care whether it's good at the moment, right? You know, everybody sucks, isn't it? It's like you've got to do ten thousand hours, you know. Well, right? Uh, or the whole uh, Anne Lamott? Do you know her shitty first draft? That everything you write at first will be terrible, but then you'll get better. Yeah. So, so the pressure's off, right? The, so the freedom again, back to freedom, and and um, for me, the 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 metaphor is the metaphor that I bang on about all the time is is you know is this. The 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 clenched fist, my I, the clenched fist is 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 my metaphor for my trauma, uh, and, and for our tra- trauma, and and the fist is grabbing this diamond. It's obscuring this diamond, and the whole point of that is that the diamond and the hand, our true self, diamond. Trauma hand, they're not the same. We are. I, I'm. 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 I'm separating who we are from how 
we feel. Who we are, we are, we are not our, we're not our feelings, we're not our thoughts. What's trauma made of? What's trauma made of? It's made of some pretty shitty feelings about being abandoned, not good enough. Um, and it's made of it's 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 made of some some thoughts. Um it, like what else is it? I mean, they're pretty dark thoughts, they're pretty dark feelings, um, but they're not there all the time. They kind of come and go, you know. We, 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 and, and the the um, the the poetry is is about some of the poetry is about about that. So I'm just taking the metaphors that I've come up with and writing them into different things. But the, the incredible freedom with that, incredible freedom, like freedom to express myself. Like how many poems I've written before that? One when I was twelve, and I had to do it as a classroom assessment. Did a, a classroom. Exercise by English. Did I enjoy it then? No. Did I do I enjoy writing the poetry about adoption? Yes. Yeah. Freedom. A bit of freedom. A bit of freedom in the day. A bit of a change. A bit of a change. You know, I I love doing the podcast, but you know, like I'm gonna do some some readings of the poetry. And and that brings okay. back tra trauma traumatic memories because when I was eight, I was at the front of the class reading the borrowers. Do you remember there's a book called The Borrowers, a kids' book for the borrowers? And for some reason, I couldn't tell my teacher that I was um and that I needed to go to the toilet. I ended up peeing my pants. I was seven or eight. Yeah, weird shit. Now, is that got to do with adoption? Who knows? But like, so I, I'm not great at reading the poetry out because that's that's still still stuck in my mind somewhere. Oh. Um, but do does that do I let that bother me? No. It's really well, freeing that I can tell you that you know I I was so ashamed about uh, about peeing my pants when I was seven or eight, whatever it was. I'm trying to I'm saying seven because I think it's kind of okay at seven and eight. It's not you know like it, it's it's nuts where we go to, but freedom. Well, know? and I I think this is also where we go back to the awareness is important because. I mean, it's actually not that different than someone who isn't adopted, that you have an awareness of this is what my life is. And therefore, you know, if I'm an eight or 12 year old, you know, peeing my pants accidentally in school, you know, there might be a reason that isn't because I'm a flawed human being. Yeah. If there might be something else going on, you know, on, on another level in my body or, you know, I once had a therapist tell me that if you have something difficult going on in your life. And then you do something that requires coping. All your coping might be used for the other thing that's difficult, that's just there temporarily. And so the thing that you normally deal with, you can't deal with because your coping mechanism is used up in another way. I think that's really important. I do think it's great that you're writing because I think writing is one of the best therapies you can do. And I really believe everyone should write about what they're going through to work through it. I, I want to say one more thing about the jewel. I love that you said there's a jewel inside the fist because um, one reason I think it's important to recognize adoption as like, or being an adoptee as something distinct is because there is prejudice and there is misunderstanding about adoption. People will tell you you're less than, or your relationship with your parents is less than theirs. Uh, and so I think it's important to know that that is based on misunderstanding and prejudice. And that what my parents taught me was that you're adopted because your biological mother cared more about you than she cared about herself. That's what I was taught. She loved you more than she loved herself. And we loved you more than we could, even a child we had biologically, because we went through all this trouble for years and years to get you. So when people, when I was growing up and kids would say to me, oh, you're weird, you're adopted. I would say, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. My parents told me I'm special. <laughs> um, and so for some reason it was Teflon. It just bounced off me when people tried to bully or um, you know, treat me poorly because I was adopted. It never stuck. Um, and I feel like that's a great lesson you're telling people that there's a jewel inside the trauma because there is. And that's, you know, my identity, but also my relationship with my parents. 
So, and I know I'm lucky in that regard, um, but I, I love the jewel inside the fist. Yeah. Thank you. I love your Teflon. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, I had, uh, I had a, a big, I had a big realization last week, another kind of like a freed, freedom thing. Um, so, how do I process? How do I, how do I express this? Um, we don't think that we, as in non adoptees, right? A lot of adoptees think. Um, Sorry, I, uh, I've I've lost my lost my train of thought. They they think adopt a lot of adoptees think that non adoptees can't understand us. Okay, so why do we think that we can understand them? <laughs> why do we think we can understand? Uh, good question. Why why like and, and why are we putting our happiness? On, on hold before they stop. That's a, stop, that's stop a good dissing. question. Do you know, like, like, yeah. Right. I mean, I think it's like any other um, group that's not in the majority. I mean, adoptees are not the majority of the people in the world. Um, they're in the minority. So we see biological families depicted in film, literature, and television everywhere and art. And so we feel like we know them better because they're depicted so often. Um, but you're right. It's a good point. Maybe we don't fully know their experience. Well, nobody can know. Every experience is different. Every, you know, everybody's experience is different. Everybody's experience changes over time. That's one of the things I'm getting from uh, uh, from Bessel van der Kolk is, is how much, how unreliable our, our memories are how, how changeable they are you know i'm sure you'll have heard of this just being a writer you know this unreliable narrator mm -hmm. unreliable mm -hmm. narrator you know right. like when i did that when i did the webinar about uh whole healing the primal wound we looked at well what is the primal wound well yeah it's a metaphor um yeah it it's it it's a it's a belief or yeah okay it's a oh it's a trauma well, what's the trauma made of trauma is made of thoughts and feelings well trauma made of but thoughts and feelings come and go don't they i mean some of them stick around some of them are really heavy some of them stick around but they're not they're not who we are we're always there's always me there's always you we're always essentially you know that this idea from great guy rupert spira that we we are we are awareness we are the screen on which our movie is the movie of our life is playing out sometimes we are the victim in that movie sometimes we're the villain in the movie sometimes it's uh documentary sometimes it's a rom-com sometimes it's a disaster disaster zone sometimes it's a horror show um but the the screen of awareness that we are is unchanged that the, the screen at the multiplex um isn't isn't slashed by um uh freddy krueger uh, yeah or jack nicholson yeah, that's a giant. great that's a great metaphor. Yeah, I love that. Now, I do want to ask you something, if I could. Go so you it. said that trauma is thoughts and feelings. Um, do you think, though, that there's also chemicals? Because um, I've done research into what happens when you live in an orphanage. And I lived in an orphanage uh, when I was a baby, which was so much more common in America when I was uh, born. It doesn't really happen anymore very much. But, you know, you're, it does affect, living in an orphanage does affect your cortisol levels. And then, have you read about this? Yeah, I've, I've heard about this. And this is where my theory goes off, actually. <laughs> but you, 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 you're completely co correct to do this. You know, the body keeps the score. The body right. keeps the score in 
in in in, in cortisol, uh, as right. you say, um, uh, the body keeps right. storing in chemicals, right. um, and so and uh, so what happens to me? I was in a um, a one of my what one of my poems. I talk about being gut punched. So like I, I was in a um, in a altercation with somebody. Uh, on uh, on Facebook the other the other week, and I felt gut punched. I felt like punched in the gut um, by a by a by a comment, by a, a threat of rejection, a threat of expulsion from the group. Um, so there's clearly some there's some chemicals there's some chemicals going on. There's some stuff going on at, at play. Um, yeah, and yet. And yet, you know, like you can have there can be an adrenaline burst, right? And it fades. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely how cortisol feels, and that's why fight, flight, or fight kicks in. Yeah, and but it fades though. It fades. Oh, yeah, it fades. So. This is why I get very, or I, I feel I get in, in in danger of being very philosophical here. But um, please go ahead. the The essence of who we are um, is unchanged. You know, the the truth the truth never changes. Um, we the, there is a the, there is a difference. I got this from I got this from Rupert. Yesterday, I listened to him. the difference between our essence and our experience. Our essence and our experience. So the chemicals are in the experience bit. The the cortisol is in the experience bit. The thoughts are in the experience bit. The feelings in the experience bit. The traumas in the experience bit. But the essence of who we are, and. Um, is is the is ever present that's really beautiful i love that um and, and i think it's true and it might be what made it easier for me to have the view that being adopted is a is a type of freedom and gives you liberties that you might not have otherwise um i mean i also think it's the same thing with the cortisol thing. You also have to, you can have an awareness of it, which I think is important. And it helped me because then I understood the anxiety problem I have, which, you know, isn't, doesn't control my life, but I know it's there. And when I understood that that might be, I have a chemical root, I was able to let go of it so much more easily because I thought, okay, it's not, just me. Some of it is the experiences, as you said, it's not my essence, it's my experiences. And I don't have to, or I can, I can say that's just in the past, even yeah. though I'm never going to be free of, I'm not going to be a person who's free of anxiety. I can cope with it a lot more easily by saying, Oh, that's what that is. Cause there's an explanation. Yeah. You see, there's, so for me, like anxiety, there's, um, there's, there's being worried and then being worried about being worried. <laughs> Which is worse for you? Um, well, uh, this is from this is from a, a mentor of mine, a guy called Michael Neal. Well, we become a moron, as in we've got more on our mind. So what you you described to us, well, um, the, the diagnosis gives you freedom, essentially. Mm -hmm. The yeah. understanding gives you freedom. So, yeah. so there's a there's a some people say well primal wound that, that you know it, it, I looked at this on on the the uh, webinar. I put a, I put a link in the notes in case anybody hasn't um, hasn't seen it. Um, done incredibly well. Uh, Twelve hundred views in in a day. <laughs> wow. Um. So. Yeah, I, I talked about the the the, the diagnosis 
um, the, the primal wound being a diagnosis and, and, and that diagnosis, you know, it gives, so it's a diagnosis, it's a metaphor, it's um, a belief system, you know, like, um, and, and the, the diagnosis gives us, it, it gave me a freedom, right? So I read the book and I thought, I can, there, there's a donkey, I can pin all my woes on that thing. This is explains everything, you know, and, but it, so there was a freedom. There was a freedom in in, in, in yes. finding it out. But then, then, then it became more like um, um, it came, became more like sandbags holding me down. You know, like when they're doing really? a balloon. Yeah, the, the, you know, there's a basket. You, the, there's a basket under the balloon, and then they have sandbags in the, mm. the basket of the balloon, the hot air balloon, and they mm. they throw them out to to take off. Well, the primal wound to me felt like it was somebody throwing sandbags into the balloon to, that were stopping me sore you know um, um, that's that's how it that's how it felt to me so initially there was a relief and then on the back of it and and and, and then and then after that there was um uh, there was a feeling of heaviness and then when i realized when i saw through the heaviness then there was soaring you know like it was like a, a big a big a big jump so uh, anyway enough about me you were talking about the fact that you had um the your understanding was this is a this is a this is a good thing your belief system was such that um the other kids couldn't upset you when they yeah. tried to take the chick you know so you had that your 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 belief system your inner sense of resilience based on your belief system gave made you teflon mm -hmm. and, and and this is in this is in, incredible for me because uh i i before i came into the adoption space i i i spent seven years putting teflon coating on on kids Oh. Wow. Or I didn't put the I I I I made them see so you saw your own Teflon for yourself. Mm -hmm. you, 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 and, and well looking back on it, you could see it. Look probably at the time. At the time, did you think, well, this this is going, this is bouncing straight. The these um the, the these nasty comments are just bouncing straight off, right? Um I did. I yeah. did because my yeah. parents had just layered it for years and years and years. Like I said, they read me that book, uh, oh, yeah. The Chosen Baby, The Chosen Baby. And um, I knew it before I could read. I knew the book by heart. And so it was just drilled into me over and over. Um, I, mean, I mean, you know, I think that you're born with some of some things and maybe I was born with more resilience and openness and honesty than a lot of other people um so yes i just thought that's absurd yeah. you know so you the penny had dropped for you th mm -hmm. through repetition and through insight and however however or maybe a, a, a innate resilience that was bigger bigger than us but the penny had dropped you had seen your own teflon sticks yes. and stones may break your bones but words could not could not hurt you right as they all run now there's a lot of kids that don't see that and so right i agree there don't see that so um I, I spent as i spent seven years helping pointing um kids to their tef the teflon that they already had and they saw it like in an instant like it, it was in incredible like I, wow. did, incredible incredible um and I, I did a i did a webinar on this uh topic last night actually um, called uh, called bully proof. Um, so make your adopted child uh, immune to bullying. And so I yeah. feel like one of the most important things is talking about it. I talked with a friend of mine last night. I went over what I wanted to talk about with you because she's an adopted adoptive. She adopted her children, and I just wanted to see if there was anything from her point of view that struck her as just totally out there. And there was nothing. Um, but she said that a lot of adoptive parents still don't tell their children right away that they're adopted. 
and it causes massive problems. And to me, that's the number one thing is being open and honest about what's going on. And that's not the all of it. Uh, that's just the beginning. But if you don't have that foundation, you know, if you, I don't know, I was surprised to hear that their adoptive parents still pretending that their children are biologically theirs. I didn't know that happened. Nobody um, likes surprises. Yeah. They're very good in drama. You know, if, if 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 you're watching a TV show and they 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 like to, you know, they they like to 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 bring surprises because surprises bring drama, they bring upset and and um and and they get people going at each other and, and people don't like surprises of this nature. Um, so what so what is it that you tell the children? How do they? How do you teach them to be Teflon adopted children? Uh, well, it wasn't adopted children specifically it was general the general population okay um it uh so the the feelings are an inside job okay the, the feelings come from thoughts mm -hmm. not from the outside world ah it's but, so true but uh, parents adults uh, adults, and including me, right, including me, uh, I I don't always remember that, and it took it took a long time for me to see that for myself. Kids, that uh, they are um, open, and they 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 see the truth more instantaneously than we do. They've got less conditioning. They've got less. The more open you use the word more open the, the more open to seeing a new truth um and the truth set and and the truth sets us free right mm -hmm. the truth mm -hmm. sets us free we want truth the truth of who we are the the, the diamond underneath the yeah. right and Drop. and i think that's one of the reasons that adoptees have this inherent or even primal need to know where we come from and who we are um, and that that is a healthy need. And, you know, it's not always one that can be resolved. Sometimes you have that need and you can't find out who your biological family was. But I do think it can be satisfying and um, make you feel more whole. Maybe even just recognizing that that need exists helps you feel whole. Yeah. Um, skin and then it's not. What'd you say? Have you heard of Skin Hunger? No. Skin Hunger. Yeah, it's a podcast, it's an episode. It's like the, the need for skin hunger, like the, the need to, to, to see somebody that looks like you. Skin yes. Hunger. Yes. And yeah. And I think knowing that that's a normal feeling as an adoptee is very important. And, and also because I had such a positive relationship with my adoptive parents, I always felt kind of guilty. Like I shouldn't want to find my biological parents because my adoptive parents are so loving, but you shouldn't feel guilty about that. It doesn't reflect on your relationship with your adoptive parents. It actually just reflects on your humanity and your human need to know who you are. Yeah. I heard something about um, what was it I heard? I've just translated it. I, I've just put. I've, I've put it with your uh, with with your freedom thing. So here's the thing. Here's the thing: freedom from trauma and freedom with trauma. Mm -hmm. So freedom from trauma is us fighting. Is, is us fighting our cortisol reactions, our feelings, mm -hmm. uh, our anxiety, you know, mm -hmm. uh, our primal wound, whatever you want to call it, our insecurities. We're fighting it. And the fighting it just keeps the thing in place. What we resist persists, yeah? It just gets bigger. We're making, we're becoming a moron, as Michael Neal would say. We've got more on our mind. It's not just my worry. It's my worry about my worry. My worry about my worrying about my worrying. And I've been on all these courses. I shouldn't be worrying. When will I get to the end of the one? Yeah. So that's that. This is freedom from trauma versus freedom with trauma. Yeah. 
I, I've, I've, I've felt, I've felt some trauma. Yeah, I feel some trauma. Yeah, I had a reoccurrence. I had a reoccurrence. It was in a Facebook group for adoptees, and I made an error. I made an error, and somebody, yeah, and and then and I didn't apologize. Um, well. And and I, I I and I felt this visceral reaction. I felt, I felt this expulsion. I, I the 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 um, yeah. I I felt that the other person was calling for me to be expelled from the group, and I felt a visceral fear of, mm-hmm. of expulsion. Now, is is that is that adoption? Is that is that adoption, or is that just? The fact that we're mammals and we like to hang out with other mammals, we see those documentaries, we see those nature documentaries, and uh, the, uh, the 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 antelope at the end, the, the slow antelope is the one that the lion's going to get. There's mm. freedom in the herd. That's our whatever reptilian brain, whatever. So, is is that human or is that adoption? Now, or is it both? Or is it both? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it's both. I love this idea of freedom. You said freedom with trauma, correct? Yeah. I love that because I think that might that might define what I'm talking about. That I can understand that, you know, living in an orphanage as a baby created a higher level of cortisol in my body. And so my body in an anxiety an anxiety inducing situation produces more cortisol than someone who didn't live in an orphanage or didn't suffer trauma at that young an age. Um, but I can understand that and therefore live with it. So I think you nailed it. That's how I feel that kind of, that is maybe the essence of my experience as an adoptee that I have freedom with the trauma and that because I understand it, it allows me to move on and be content and happy. And and that that Bessel van der Kolk book, Freedom um, a Body Keeps a Score, right? He hasn't mentioned adoption yet, and I've been listening to it for eight hours. Really? See, and we were talking about this before we started. I will say that I do think that this is a group that is not yet recognized as a distinct group. Whereas other, you know, victims of um PTSD from war. Or um, especially, and thank goodness, we now understand what immigrants go through when they're forced to move and how difficult it is. I would love us to all be working towards educating other people in the public to say being an adoptee is a part of being in a distinct group as well. And we have our own distinct perspective and needs and that that's not a bad thing. That doesn't mean that we are less than. It means we are have our own way of interacting with the world yeah uh i was listening to something oh it's the Bessel van der Koppel. um he was talking about uh you know uh ptsd uh, origins of ptsd and the fact the um the 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 british government banned the word shell shock and and banned the diagnosis really when in, was that in, in the first world war in the First World War. What was their reasoning? Do you know? Um, they don't. They he, he didn't. He, he didn't go into the reasoning. Um, the the Germans did the same. So the the reasoning, I believe, was that it would be bad for morale. Oh. Oh. Okay. So they wanted to. Uh, that's what I'm guessing. The reasoning was they wanted to deny it to. So, yeah, they wanted to deny it because they thought that um, that that people would jump on a bandwagon, uh, and 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 on that bandwagon there would be um, there would be lots of bandwagons all heading away from the front. Oh. <laughs> the fighting was happening. <laughs> you know, they would people would jump on the bandwagon. So they they were doing the opposite of what we're talking about, which is having an awareness of who you are and what it means to be who you are. In our case, adoptees, you know, 
So rather than promoting awareness and understanding so that you can live and have freedom with it, they wanted you to live in a basically to be ignorant. They, they wanted to push it under the. Yeah. They wanted you to be ignorant of what was going so, to happen. So, yeah. And, and it's quite important, you know, the, the it, this stuff takes time, right? So uh, somebody told me it took 200 is it 200 years, 2000 years. Something when like that's flat a big earth, difference. Flat earth, it is a batter. It, it, I'm hesitating because I'm, I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty stupid, really. That I don't, I that's am, okay. I'm just teasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, it, it took a, it took, it took 200 years. It was 200 years. It took them 200 years for the majority of the people to believe that the the world was round. Oh yes. I think it was to that. I think it was a long time. Yeah. Yes. So um thing things change. Uh, you know, that it takes a long time for the herd the herd to change. Um and you know you're talking with something you were talking about this about um yeah the 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 majority and the freedom to do your own thing. I uh, so at the at the weekend we get the Sunday Times newspaper, the the London Sunday Times, which is read by like two million, three million people. It's it's a, it's the biggest circulation uh, newspaper in the UK out of a population of seventy million, and it, it's it, it's a quality newspaper. So you know it, it's not like a tabloid, right? I mean, it, it they do have silly headlines and things like that, but it, it's a, an in depth, serious newspaper. Um, and it, they they put this there's the, a the style section a magazine section which is mainly um, about women's style and fashion and stuff like that and the the title was this Sunday was um, how to wear jeans in 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 um, in middle age <laughs> really. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, do we need to be told? No, to that extent. This was the this was the title. This was the title on the front cover of the of this separate supplement, and I'm just thinking, this is thinking First World War and 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 you know and and the propaganda and the and and, and the mass and you know like the the you know the group think and 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 the group think about and the group thinking in the adoptee space like there's a lot of group think you know and, and that's what i was kind of what i was getting at earlier on when saying like they don't and non-adoptees can't understand us well how can we understand them we 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 can't if we can't and we can't understand them, if we can't understand them, we can't blame can we you know, they're, they're doing the best that everybody's doing the best that they can. We're all doing the best that I can, given the the thinking that that's in our head at the at the moment. You know, we're doing the best that we can. Um, and so, how, how on earth are we supposed to understand uh, adoptive parent? How are we supposed to um, understand? You know, p- people think people asking us strange questions. This is a, a cultural thing that's becoming clear to me, actually, between the UK and the US, um, is that I hear stories um, of, of uh, people adopt from adopted parents, from adoptees, being asked stuff like, you know, what about your real parents or you know, th- those sorts of strange comments that people come up with. And there seems to be far less of that here in the uk in my in my experience or in my opinion oh, okay good you're a bit you, the the there the seems to be we're a little bit um yeah less direct shall we say or more tactful as a as our as our as our culture and this is a massive oversimplification right but uh, but i think there's some truth in it and when especially when compared to americans and yet, you know, you're more you're more happy talking about feelings. That's why we have more adoptees and more more people from the states on the on the podcast. You more um, there's less stigma around um, 
uh, around shrinks and and, and counsellors and coaches and mentors and stuff like that. Pe- it, you know, people in Britain will say, "Have you not got any friends?" <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it's it, it's it's that. Um, oh yeah. Oh, they're oh they're a bit a bit too emotional. A bit oh those Americans they're oversharing. Do you know what I mean? Um, so there's there's there are some cultural differences on a big agenda. But um, sure. back to freedom. Um, back to freedom. Is there anything else that you want to share on the freedom topic? I I think that. It's interesting you just mentioned that we don't know what it's like to grow up as a biological child raised by a biological parent, because that's the larger issue I think about is that this isn't something just for adoptees, adopted children. It's also something for all children to understand. I learned it because I was adopted and told, you know, we don't know who your biological parents are or where you came from, but we can also teach children that they should all feel that way. They should all feel that their identity is open to them to shape any way they want. And so it's actually really wonderful to think that something I could learn from being an adoptee, which is considered, you know, not as common as being a biological child, that we can apply that to other children and then they can have better lives too. Um, you, you were talking um, a lot last time when we spoke about empathy, about trying to understand, oh, yeah. understand other, other other people. Um, I, That's I, my I big thing. Yeah, I, I, and this cultural thing is quite different. And so you could have you could you could say, well, adopt the cultural. I, I, we've been talking about adopt uh, UK versus US uh, culture, but you could also also have the kind of like adoptee culture versus non-adoptee culture. Right, um, and uh, I'll give you a, a, a silly example that that happened to me yesterday in terms of culture. I, w- I was going into a coffee shop, and there was a Deliveroo guy coming out, and he was just culturally different, right? <laughs> but I, I took it as rude. <laughs> it kind of barged past me. Oh. Um, and in a and uh, in a non in a very non-British way, uh, and I said to the I said to the girl on the counter, um, "Does that guy work for you?" He said, "No, no, um, he's uh, he he's he's a delivery driver. Um, he doesn't work for us." And she told me where he came from. But there, there was uh, somewhere in Eastern Europe or something. But there was there was a cultural difference, you know, in terms of manners. And I, I was I was putting my British manners. I was judging him through the lens of my British manners. Mm. And, yes, I. Um, and so I was not. I was not. And I, I, I was like slightly irritated by it. Um, but then, then you realise, okay, it's just me. I'm creating that. Right. You kind of have to check yourself. And yes. so empathy is the most important thing to me in the world. M stands for Molly. My, you know, my pen name is M Hendricks and it stands for Molly, but it also stands for empathy Um, because it's my guiding principle. Um, And that's one reason I want adoptees to be working towards being recognized as a group, because we, until people understand who we are, they're not going to be able to have extend that understanding to empathy. Um, But we all now live in a world where we understand we do have to check ourselves when we make assumptions or judgments that are incorrect or wrongheaded or not helpful, right? And um, and I would like us to try to make people more educated about adoption and the experience. I mean, that's why I wrote the memoir about it. And what I learned is that I thought my experience was so unusual in the adoption uh, world. And it was everyone who's read the book and has written to me and said, oh, it's the same thing that happened to me. I have learned, oh, this is a common experience and our experiences can be used to educate and therefore create more empathy. I actually believe, I think it was Richard Russo. I don't know if you know him. He's an American writer, a novelist who said um, that the purpose of literature is to engender empathy. And I believe that. That's why I write books. To t- And it really, it's not just literature, it's sharing stories, whether it's on a podcast 
in a novel, in a movie, a TV show, sharing your stories creates empathy. And so that's why I do this. Beautiful. And uh, listeners, as always, I urge you to check out the show notes for every episode um, because there's links in there to to, to Molly's uh, Molly's books and uh, Molly's websites, socials and stuff like that. So check out what she's doing. Check out the the, the memoir. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. M, M for Molly. M for, M for empathy. And M for memoir as well. <laughs> That might I I write fiction mostly. That was a one-time thing writing a memoir, I think. So is there anything else you'd like to share before we bring it in? No, no. I just think that what you're doing is very important. And I'm so glad that you understand how much more important quality is than quantity. Because it there is a really high quality of work that you're doing here reaching people. And so thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to listeners um, for staying with us to the end. Uh, we will speak to you again very soon. Thanks a lot. Goodbye.